0: Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Here. Today, I'm excited to welcome Jillian and Scott Copeland to another remote version of Seizing Life. Jillian founded the Deaner School in 2007. The school is a nurturing yet challenging environment for students with learning differences. Jillian served as the head of the school from 2007 to 2013, the chair of the Board of Trustees for the following six years, and now serves on the Board of Trustees. Scott has been an active developer and builder of affordable housing for over 20 years. He is a principal with RST Development, a development management and construction firm that predominantly serves moderate to low income households. He is also a former CURE board member. Jillian and Scott are the parents of four sons, Danny, Jack, Nicholas, and Ethan. Their third son, Nicholas, was diagnosed with epilepsy at eight months old. When Nicholas was a teenager, the Copelands began contemplating his life as an adult and investigating the options available for their son. Their experiences researching adult living options for Nicholas motivated their latest project, an ambitious reimagining of community housing for adults with special needs called Main Street. They are here today to talk about how their search for an appropriate living environment for Nicholas led them to found Main Street and how this project differs from other housing options. Jillian and Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait to share with our audience about Main Street, this incredible project that you guys have been working on for several years now. you just had the ribbon cutting for this amazing, amazing building. Um, But first, I wanna give you the opportunity to share about your inspiration for this project, your son Nicholas. Tell us about his journey and and what brought you
1: to Main Street. Hi, thank you, Kelly, for having Scott and I on the podcast today. We're excited to be here and hopefully share something that Bring some hope and inspiration to other people. So uh, our, our inspiration for Main Street was our son Nickel, who is now 21 years old. Um, he's really excited because he gets to put a splash of rum in his Diet Coke. <laughs> um, and um, he started having seizures when he was eight months old. Um, his first seizure was lasted longer than two hours, and he's had subsequently, I don't know how many, maybe 100, 200, you know, Many, many seizures um, over the years requiring several hospitalizations for testing. And I'm sure everybody on this call knows the drill. Um, lots of different medications and um, interventions, and schooling, and um, different doctors and different opinions. And I'm sure, again, you all are, are not unfamiliar with this. Um, and we really, you know, spent some time thinking about and. and researching what his life would look like when he became an adult. And it looked as if a lot of folks out there with developmental disabilities, medical challenges, special needs, um, weren't living a life of, of meaning and purpose and passion. And we spent some time looking around to see what was out there. And although there are many amazing programs out there and we visited physically and virtually, many of them around the country, Nickel didn't seem to really fit into a lot of them. He thrives in inclusive environments. We found that there wasn't a lot of affordability out there for many people, and that seemed to be a a major issue um, and a barrier for for people who wanted to live independently. And we decided, you know, we can give him this and and hopefully bring a lot of other people along on this journey um, with him and provide spaces and opportunities and programming and um, hopefully a change of mindset, so that others can be a part of Main Street, those with disabilities, those of all abilities.
0: Transitioning care is such a, a huge concern for parents, be it, you know, we've talked on this program about transitioning from pediatric to adult providers, but I think one piece of it that is so often overlooked is uh, quality of life and housing and and this idea you know, these, these adults are then sort of forced to stay in their parents' home and n- don't have the opportunity to, to connect with others and to have the support they need to live these full lives. How is Main Street providing that opportunity for these individuals and their families?
1: There are so many issues affecting or impacting adults with disabilities. Um, I hope that Main Street is really this, this, the, 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 the brings the gestalt, brings everybody together. Um, and that's what I find is, is, a, is a big challenge. Not only are employment issues a problem, 50% of people in our county uh, that have disabilities um, have jobs, only 50%, and that's the highest rate I have found around the country. Um, there's also, right, you, there's no, not a lot of affordable living, so people have to be in their parents' homes, as you said. Um, and then what happens is there are programs that are out there, but they're very siloed. And there isn't a lot of collaboration amongst um, professionals that I have found in the disability space. Um, and they also, it, 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 I, I believe that once we can allow people to continue to learn, right? So once, once they reach the age of 21 and they hit the cliff, as you know, I'm doing, using air quotes here for people who cannot see, they all eligibility um all entitlements are ceased and then you become eligible for programs but it's a long process to get there and it it is this difficult transition from high school to or post high school to becoming an adult and so nothing is everything is piecemealed and nothing sort of is collaborative and easy and it it, what happens is because of these lack of opportunities and because you really have to fight for everything, including funding, um, <laughs> you, you are already tired. Your parents are already tired. The adults with disabilities, you know, some of them aren't self-advocates. Some of them aren't able to have their voice heard. And so, you know, it's easier to play video games in your basement. And therefore, you, you create this cycle where you have a disconnect from community um, in our county, one in three people with disabilities, adults with disabilities, have said they had no community connection within the last year. And this was prior to COVID, where many of us aren't having community connections. So this isolation for both caregivers, whether it's siblings or, or, fa- or family or parents, uh, also feel this disconnect. And what happens is this isolation turns into depression. It turns into loneliness. It turns into anxiety. And so we feel at Main Street that providing opportunities for inclusive Um, members, inclusive people of all abilities to come together to share common interests, to share common goals, whether it's um, social skills groups or we all enjoy music, truck lovers, car lovers, sports lovers, chess lovers, people who love art can come together, share with each other, um, provide opportunities to learn and to grow and to socialize and and really to have a place to belong. And then once people feel self-worthy and and have this sense of of self-efficacy, Perhaps they can, you know, apply for different jobs. Perhaps they have better skills. Perhaps they have this confidence that allows them to go out into the world and, and, and find opportunities for meaning and purpose and, and passion. And some of that really starts, Kelly, with kindness and just providing a place to belong. And that's really what we see Main Street already doing even before this flagship building was, was, is open.
0: I think you you hit on something so important there. and it, it, it was sort of brought to my attention uh, during a previous episode that we did uh, with Sherry Brady. She um, emphasized the word belonging over inclusivity. And I, I saw in the video for the ribbon cutting that you were in one of the pictures, you're holding a sign that says belonging. And I think that word, it speaks to me in, in such a deep way because, Yes, we want to be inclusive. But this idea that this, the disabled community should already be included. They belong in the world with all of the rest of us. And it's, it is us, you know, neurotypical, able-bodied folk that need to realize that we don't need to make space for them. They, they belong here just as much as we do. And, and I think that that is, is such a beautiful part of this project.
2: Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. Epilepsy affects 3.4 million Americans. Learn more about cutting edge epilepsy treatments and research at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life.
0: Sort of getting down into like the nuts and bolts. What is the building? Who lives there? How do people apply?
3: So um, the building is is a 70 unit apartment building. Um, as Jillian mentioned, one of, one of, the, one of the major, we, we really ran it on three major um, pillars, if you will. One was affordability, the other was inclusivity, and the third is sustainability. And that's both in, you know, sort of from an environmental and, and a, a building standpoint, but also from the, the sustainability of all the phenomenal programming that will happen in the building. So, in addition to the 70 apartments, is uh, 10,000 square feet of community space. Um, we have a great fitness room. We have a, a, a peace room and a classroom and a kitchen that's named after my father in law, uh, Jillian's dad, called Poppy Boys Kitchen, which is a great teaching kitchen, a catering kitchen, and uh, like a great living room, you know, where we have a huge TV and just, uh, you know, nice little gathering spaces and so the 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 goal is is that not only will the residents of the building get to enjoy everything that's happening on the ground floor um but also members from the community that don't live in the building unfortunately it's only 70 apartments um and and um you know we the demand is through the roof um there's just, just such a huge huge need for it so um, way back when, at the very beginning of this, you know, Jillian's brainchild was to to make sure that we were able to include others from the community that wouldn't be able to live there. Um, so that's exactly what's happened. So it will be a, a membership based um, activities that will happen on the ground floor. Obviously, COVID has has put a little bit of a damper on the timing of it. Although the pivot to the, the virtual platform that that Jillian and her team are doing now has been really vibrant and really fantastic stuff. So. Um, but when we get back into some physical opportunities, I think the building will be just full of you know, programs and all, all different sorts of things. And, and, and as Jillian said, all different sorts of people being you know, part of it. So it's really exciting.
0: So for the, the 25% of the units that are reserved for um, adults with additional needs, what are the requirements to be able to live in those units?
3: The 25% of the units that are set aside for people with needs is kind of a is kind of a difficult one in terms of of a qualifying you know measure because it, it's 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 sort of loose in terms of um, how you would qualify and it's not any specific need um, per se. So um, and I think that's why candidly that it, it's just been so overwhelming because. Unfortunately, there are there are a lot of people that you know do kind of qualify for those type of units. So, um, it's uh, it's not a problem filling them. I can tell you. The problem is is that we just can't build enough of them.
0: Is is the biggest issue. I mean, to that extent, are there plans to expand and to to build more main streets? Uh, you know, I, because the demand is there. There there isn't um, the, these options aren't available in in most people's communities
3: the the hope certainly is to do more um for sure and and one of the things that we've focused on from the beginning is is um again the sustainability of the program and to create as many opportunities as we can and how this has come to be for us and for our family and for our community may be different for you know somebody else but but the the you know, the opportunity to do more, to try to partner with other developers that, that may have an affordable component already built into, um, into their project. And perhaps we can persuade them to reserve some units for people with needs um, that can help expand the mission. Um, I don't know, to support in any way that we can, anybody else in their community that, that may be doing this. Uh, it, it's, it's tough. It's a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's certainly a labor of love. There's no question about it. It's, it's a very rewarding process. Um, but it's uh, the, the short answer is yes. We hope to do many more um, and be uh support for those that, that want to do something like this in their, in their own community, um, which I think we have a lot of support. So.
0: Yeah. And I think that there are, you know, whether it's the, you know, the programs or, you know, logistically, there is an opportunity here you have sort of built a model that doesn't exist and hopefully you know people can learn from that and even just know that something like this is possible something like this can exist and you know they can they can use this to create their own similar space
3: the the real estate piece of it is daunting at first you know to build a building and, and it's what i i do it's what our business is but I think the the really the secret sauce is is the programming and the inclusivity and and as you pointed out, the belonging and and it's amazing how the mission was translated to so many different people at the very start of this and and it went across every every person we met, you know subcontractors that were building on the project, when you told them a little bit about what was going on there. Hey, that would be great for my neighbor's son or my nephew. And it's amazing how it just goes straight across the board. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. None of it matters. It it, it is a pervasive issue that most people or a lot of people can identify with. So while the, while the construction piece is a daunting task for sure, for some, I, I think that, you know, the, 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 um, the opportunity to, to do something like that and to tie in the, the, the programming and stuff and to have that place of, of belonging is really what makes it, you know, breathe and tick. It's really, you know, that, that's critical piece to it.
0: Now, I want to talk for a moment about the staff. Are they medical professionals? Are they trained? What is, um, what is their
1: background? So that is a great question. So we have, you know, we have two different structures here. One is the Main Street apartment folks that's got, that is Scott's team and they run the apartment building just like they would any other apartment building. Um, and then there's the Main Street Connect team, which is my team. And right now we have nine people on staff. And um, our, our mantra here is a little different, Kelly, than most models around the country. So typically when you move into a space that's identified for people with special needs, the housing and the services come together so they're provided as one um, so if you choose housing whoever is their staff is your support service person um, we don't provide any direct service um, providers here at main street so we have no what our our state calls them DSPs, direct service providers we do offer a scaffolding of um of uh, staff of staff that that and supports and assistance But if you require, we we actually have a mantra we call B-Y-O-I. One of our members coined it for us, and it's called bring your own independence. And that means, Kelly, if you were going to live here at Main Street and you have a two bedroom apartment and you need full time staff for it because you have mobility or cognitive issues, you bring in that staff person with you. You live in that apartment with your staff person. If you come down to our programming and you need some assistance there, that staff person can come with you or a family member can come with you. We have people on the floor all the time. Um, If we have a yoga teacher, for example, teaching yoga, we also have a Main Street staff member in there. So if someone is having a medical issue or if someone needs some help de-escalating or regulating, um, we are trained and can do that. However, we don't provide any one-to-one supports and we, don't, we only have the basic medical CPR and first aid training. So we are three blocks from our fabulous Rockville fire station number three. Um, in <laughs> fact, our, uh, the, the head of the station was over here last night doing a training for our residents um, on how to be safe and where the egresses are. And um, so, so this mantra of bringing your new dependents allows people to have an apartment just like they, they would rent an apartment in any other apartment building. They have the key. It's their apartment. They can decorate, design how they want. They come and go as they please. We have security in the building. And then we have people that are obviously on the floor when our programs are happening. We also have two community coaches that live in the building. And for a fee, people can can pay for their services. And again, it's a scaffolding of support. It's not one-to-one, let me help you do your laundry. How do you know, let's put food on the table kind of a thing. That's not what they do. They meet and they help Meal plan for the week, and they help. You know, they look at the weather, and they talk about. You know, sort of help them with basic executive functioning issues. But if people require more support than that to live independently, then they bring their own support with them. That it's
0: it's opens it up, I think, and makes it um, more available for folks. If, if it does. They- And it also, it teaches a level of responsibility that people are living in mom and dad's house and just sort of the status quo remains. I just, I can't even imagine the the sense of pride and independence that comes from learning these skills that may come naturally to you or I, but take dedicated training that, you know, that executive function that you're talking about. But to be able to meal plan and to take care of yourself and yep. those I mean that those are incredible skills that a lot of these individuals might not learn otherwise they might exactly. not and
1: the, the bottom line really is that people mm-hmm. have choice so if they move to this apartment and they don't you know they if they if we had service providers maybe they didn't click with that service provider but they didn't re- they don't really have a choice. When you live in group homes and and, which are amazing by the way i'm a huge proponent of all different kinds of models um, that are out there there are some that are solely for people with autism there are farms and villages and lots of different kinds of programs and i believe we all share similar missions but we have different models and we need all these different models so you know people with disabilities should have a choice just like you and i do we get to live where we want how we want and So this is just another opportunity to provide choice and self-determination for people who don't really have that opportunity. Outside of just
0: these apartment units, you have all of this community space and you have incredible programs. Tell us about the programs. And then I also believe that some of these programs are available via Zoom to folks that aren't in the building.
1: How can people access that? Yes, thank you for that important question. so when we started Main Street three years ago, we started with a membership. Um, we asked people to join us. Uh, we, we, we framed it as an inclusive community who wants to be a part. And within seven days, we had 700 members who all wrote a check and sent by mail because our credit card processor wasn't up and running yet, um, which to us sh- showed the great need and support of what we were doing. And by the way, I will talk about our programs in a minute, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just mention this. We knew we wanted to build a building. We knew we wanted an apartment building. We knew we wanted a community center and we could have a larger membership that could impact more people. Um, and and so we knew we knew that was in the plan. However, the building of the community has been the most beautiful part of this. And I would say to anybody out there, build your community, ask people to join you. That's how you can really create the impact. And then you can move into, okay, what do we want now? Um, so I would, I think we sort of did it in the reverse way in a sense, but, um, we're so lucky to kind of fall into this membership that has been life-changing for us too. And, and I think for many others in terms of programming, when we started three years ago, we were doing biweekly programs. It could be anything from bowling to a CPR class, to a nutrition class, to, um, to meeting for pizza or at a museum or a sporting event. And luckily we're right outside of D.C., Washington, D.C. So we have lots of opportunities here. Um, and so we would we would uh, plan biweekly programs for uh, based on our, our members' interests and preferences and needs. And that was super fun. And then all of a sudden, like the rest of you out there, the whole right, our, our world changed and we had to pr- uh, pivot and um, create a virtual opportunity. So we started having virtues, a virtues program, um, a space for belonging. We also had um, a game day with bingo and trivia, and we started providing this freemium um, virtual opportunities. And then we decided, okay, we want all our members to join again. So we created a summer virtual membership where we have eight to 12 programs per week, um, actually, Tuesday night, is. Uh, this is the last week of our summer virtual membership, and Tuesday we have our talent show. So we have 10 different people that will be providing amazing talent, I'm sure. It will be a wonderful experience. But we've had everything from beer tastings, we have weekly yoga, movement classes. Um, we also have had a travel and adventure series, a culture series, um, where we visit different museums, we tour different um, gardens Um, We have different artists speak. We have an arts and crafts club, a chess club, a sports club, and those are all member-led and executed. So we have lots of different kinds of opportunities for people to join us. We have a program on peace and resiliency during COVID that will probably continue to be peace and resiliency just every day because we can all use that. Um, And we're adding a bunch of new programs for our fall. So we're going to add Zumba. Um, We are also going to have a Black Lives Matter event Um, and a couple other community opportunities for everyone to join us. So if you want to be a member, um, our members get to be virtual, right? So you can be anywhere you are. We have people from all over the country that are joining us right now. We have 200 members. And um, it's super fun stuff because we really have built this virtual community where people feel connected and they feel they're engaged. And during COVID, that is a difficult thing, I think, for most people, but especially for our disconnected community of, of adults with disabilities. So it's really been a wonderful experience. And I get so excited. I, I do the travel series and, um, and the movement. Um, and then one other program I'm on every week, bake, Baking with Sharon, which is super fun. And I made a great chocolate cake. Um, well, <laughs> mine wasn't as good as everybody else's, but it was still delicious. So lots of opportunities for people to join us virtually. And I'll tell you, if you join us, I promise you, you will enjoy and learn. What's the site?
0: Where can people find Uh, out? You
1: can, everything from soup to nuts is on our website, which is mainstreetconnect.org. You can view our virtual ribbon cutting, which I think is pretty inspiring. You can also see our lineup of programs that we have, and then we will have our fall membership, which should be up in about two to three weeks, and we'll start in mid-September.
0: You two are amazing. You are a powerhouse couple. This project is so inspiring. I remember Scott sharing about it at a Cure Board meeting at one point and just, you know, being so thrilled and maybe a little daunted. (laughs) 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 Um, But I have to say, it is just so exciting to see it come to fruition, to know that you have residents living in the building and that you know, this dream became a reality and, and you are changing the lives of, you know, 70 units of people and and that's that's pretty remarkable. Thank you for all you both have done for the epilepsy and the special needs community, what you will continue to do. You are incredible advocates and allies and, and we're just so grateful to both of you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for chatting
3: with us. Thank, Thank you, you for Thank us. you for everything that you do. You, you do amazing stuff. Thank you so much. It really, you move the needle. It's good you stuff. You do.
1: And we so appreciate it. We, we, we are there with all of the, the listeners out there who's, who have epilepsy, whose children have epilepsy and we're with you and and cure is gonna find a cure one day and um and in the meantime you know we're all gonna live our best lives and we're here to help you guys do that and we know you're there for us and um kelly thank you so much thank you jillian and
0: scott for sharing your experiences and for your amazing efforts to improve the lives of those with special needs Cure has supported epilepsy research for over 20 years, raising over $70 million to support more than 240 research projects in 15 countries. Still at this time, researchers face unprecedented challenges requiring special protocols and equipment and unanticipated costs. For that reason, I am honored to share that Cure is launching the Epilepsy Research Continuity Fund to support scientists whose research is most vulnerable. This fund will make $350,000 available to researchers with active epilepsy studies to help them continue their work during the pandemic. Now, more than ever, these researchers need our support to continue moving forward towards the ultimate goal of a cure. We invite you to help support epilepsy researchers by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your support and generosity are greatly appreciated.
1: Thank you.
2: The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.